And and the other thing is the other thing too is that gravel, like the level of gravel racing, just continues to ratchet up. Mm-hmm. And if you just look at results from year to year, it looks it, it might look like somebody at my ability level uh, is getting slower. When in fact, if you look at my power numbers, I'm actually getting faster. Um, Maybe your equipment's but, just getting slower. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Those 47 mil tires, bro. Skinnier, <laughs> skinnier tires. What is up, party people? We've got Tyler back in the studio with us this week, and seeing as I had just gotten back from BWR, Arizona, it seemed like an obvious place to start. We talk about the insanely close finish between Keegan Swenson and Chris Blevins, Sophia's dominance in the women's field, and why I chose to participate in the excess gravel movement. Shout out Tony Baca. And I had a really fun time doing so. Then we get into some Mid-South preview as Dylan prepares for his first race of the season down there before diving into arguably way too many listener questions and, t- and tangents. But hey, if you stick around through the end of the show, you're welcome for providing you with an extra 20 minutes of timeless banter this week. If you have a question for the show, pull up the old email machine and drop us a note at bonkrospodcast at gmail.com, or you can do a little Instagram stalking and find one of our personal pages and slide your ways into those DMs. You can also find Dylan at the Mid-South Expo this weekend as he'll be there, so give him some crap for why you can't run Pathfinders this weekend after he scooped them all up just to lay around in his giant stockpile of gravel tires in his shed. Anyways, if you want to get a hold of us, you'll find a way to do so, so let's get this Bonk Bros party started already. Should we start with uh, BWR, since we actually have somebody on the pod that was there? Sure. Yeah, we can talk BWR. I'm just trying to figure out why you did the baby race instead of the instead of the full thing. <laughs> yeah, so um, so I had quite, quite the experience down in Arizona. Um, so I think we recorded last week's show on Friday, and I... So after that show... I had gone out to pre-ride and I was like pre-riding a part of the course that I hadn't seen yet. Um, so like there was this like first like paved climb to gravel descent through like technical single track, which was super sick. So I like rode that and then I like set out to go to like the, the next part of the course that I was going to pre-ride. And I had about an hour of sunlight left and <laughs> I... So I was like, oh, it'll be fine. It's only like four miles out. And if I, you know, or it was like six miles out. And like, if I get too far out and I need to turn around, I'll just turn around and come back. Right. Well, it was this like, it was, uh, they called it like a moto trail, but it was basically just like this sandy wash with all these like crazy, like puddles and whoops and twists and things like that. Yeah. So it was super slow going. So by the time I like got to the end of the moto trail and, and the course wasn't marked yet, cause this was like two days before the race. And apparently they don't mark it till the day before. So I kept like having to stop and getting lost and like look at my GPS to like figure out where I was at. So by the time I got to the end, which was like the furthest point from my car, it was sunset. And I was like, well, okay, this is not good. Um, <laughs> it took like literally almost an hour to get to, to, you know, through this trail. So, so I ended up like having to figure out like, how do I get, what's the fastest way back to the car? And like the, the way I just came from didn't seem like the fastest way. So I like, I like just jetted straight through the desert basically with like on what I thought was another trail, but it ended up being like, I don't know, Jeep trail and more moto trail. And it was like also super slow. 
Um, so anyway, so I had a bad, Dude, I had this a crash. Is how you had a crash. I was yeah, going to so, say, this so, is how people, this is how people die and get lost in the desert for days. Dude, they just it take was, some random trail in the desert. And next thing you know, no one's heard from them for like five days. Yeah. Yeah. And when I started this journey, I had, uh, 10%, ba- no, 30% battery left. But then I got like 15 minutes in and like got lost again. So I'd like pull out my phone and my phone did the Bat- thing wait, where it went from 30%. Oh, in what? your phone. Battery in your yeah, phone. 30% battery in my phone. It went from 30% to 1%. You know how like your phone just does that yeah. sometimes. So then mm-hmm. I was like, dude, I'm like out here. There's no cell service. Uh, my phone's about to die. I still don't know where I'm at. I don't know the closest way. I, I knew which road I needed to get to and I knew which direction generally I needed to head. Um, but the sun was setting too. So like once the sun goes down, you have like no sense of direction anymore. Um, so anyways, I, I had like a, it was an embarrassing crash. It was like, I was going up this like super steep, like moto trail pitch and my rear wheel like spun out and my pedals wouldn't unclip like the whole day. Like I couldn't get my foot to like unclip naturally. I had to like wrench it out. So like I spun out, stalled. And like went to unclip and couldn't unclip and just like toppled over and like my hit hit like the like rocky ground and my handlebars jammed into my knee. So, um, so now it's like 15 minutes after sunset. I just crashed. I'm still like in the middle of nowhere and I, now I got a bum knee. So it was, it was intense. It was like my, my coach like looked at my file and, and there was like, there was like a 20 minute stretch where when I look back at it too, where my heart rate was like 185. Cause I was just like motoring through this like sand pit, like as hard as possible to try and get back to this road. Um, ended up getting to the road, popped out on the road about 45 minutes after sunset and then still had a three mile climb up the paved pavement back to the car. So I didn't get back to the car until like an hour and change after I was supposed to be back. Um, Jeez, so anyway, so my, my knee was like smoked after that. Cause I like heard it. Then I was riding super hard. Um, so the next day, like when I went out to ride, like it was still pretty tender and I don't know, I just like, didn't, I knew that if I did the full race, I would like push myself probably too hard. And I just didn't want to like yeah. jeopardize the whole season. So I did the, sh- the shorter race, um, mm-hmm. which actually turned out to be super sick. I've like never done that before where you like, mm-hmm. don't do the marquee event. Um, and it was, it was kind of fun. Like there was no pressure. Uh, it was still like properly hard. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why 80 miles of racing through like technical trail and dirt and pavement, like has to feel like less than, but, um, for whatever reason, like that's not, that's not enough these days, but it sure felt like enough. <laughs> like when I, when I was yeah. done with that race, I was properly smoked and I don't know that I could have like done another 50 miles or 40 miles or whatever. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the race reports that I saw were talking about how it's like the hardest BWR race ever. And, and all this, it's, it certainly seemed like the most technical BWR race. Yeah. Which that was sick. Like, I mean, you, you see like all the mountain bikers were talking about like, it was super fun, um, especially mm-hmm. on a drop bar bike. You know, you're like pushing the limits of, of what the bike's capable of. Um, the trails weren't like, like if you were on a mountain bike, you'd be like, all right, these are kind of boring. Um, well, okay. Like so you know, on a gravel bike, you know, what questions coming, what, what tires did I run? <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> well, I could ask that, but I was going to say, uh, given the course, 
what do you think about a drop bar mountain bike? Would it have actually been the faster bike for this course? Yeah. So I think it, I think it all depends. So like for you, let's say, so like I, I, you know, before the race and, and this is part of why I just like, I wasn't that bummed about dropping out of the big race. Like I knew I had no chance at competing like, you know, for top five or top 10 or anything like my fitness just wasn't there. So like, but for you, like if you were going down and you were like, okay, I've got enough fitness to be inside the top 10, what can I do to like gain an advantage? Um, for sure. I think that like having the drop bar bike, you could rip the descents, um, having mm-hmm. the drop bar mountain bike, like having some bigger tires, uh, especially yeah. like with a little bit of suspension now, like, I mean, I was still, you know, ripping the descents. So like, it's hard to say how much time you could make up, but I think you could, you could have definitely made up time. And there were, there were a couple guys like, like Lance bridged back up to the front group on like the descent. So like you could, you could definitely make up time. Um, yeah. the course is too long and there's too much pavement to have like soloed with the, with the drop bar mountain bike and like been that been your strategy. But as far as like making up ground on the single track, I think, I think there could have been some, some room for improvement there. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I saw Finsty was on the, the full suspension specialized gravel thing, uh, which, yeah. you know, yeah, so I didn't was, see so him, I didn't we... see him pick that bike for any, any race last year. So if it was, if it was that rough, a course that he felt he needed it, I'm, I'm assuming it was challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And he made a post beforehand, like, you know, which bike should I use the, the crux or the diverge, you know, and he, he obviously went with the diverge. So yeah, I mean, I think. I think, you know, I mean, you could have definitely ripped a lot of the single track faster for sure on a drop bar mountain bike. Um, yeah. The course ended with, with like this seven miles of pavement through a neighborhood. And it was like, there were like three or four prominent climbs and then like some pretty ripping winding descents. And then like 300 meters before the finish, you, you dropped off the road, hopped into this sandy wash like a, it was like a drainage area and you had to ride Mm. 200 meters through sand, like legit deep sand. Uh, And then you pop out onto the finish straight and then, and then you finish the course. So I I wish one of those races had come down to a sprint. It did. did? Keegan and Keegan and Blevins went into the wash. They, they sprinted to, to the wash. So did Blevins just lose it in the wash? Cause I looked at the finishing times and I mean, um, I mean, the the finishing time was a little bit exaggerated because I think like once Blevin realized he'd lost it, he kind of just set up. Um, sure. But yeah, so they 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 sprinted. So so they they came, those two came into that finishing loop together, um, and then two of those bigger climbs in the neighborhood, Blevins had dropped Keegan in. Wow. You know, picked up ten fifteen seconds or something, and then both times Keegan rode back to him on the descent. So mm. then they were together going into the wash. And Keegan had like the inside line. He Blevins sprinted to get around him and like just barely clipped him to get into the wash first. It was like skidding tires. You had to go off the pavement, like sketchy. It was like sandy on the pavement. Like it was, it was kind of sketchy for them to like sprint into the, 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 the wash, like hole shot. So Blevins drops in first and it, it seemed for sure. Like whoever got to the wash first, like was going to win, but Blevins like went a little bit too far outside and hit this like super deep soft section and like just stalled out for just long enough that Keegan just like rode around him, took like this inside line. And like, once he had momentum, he was just able to like motor away. 
And yeah, that's how he won. It, it like literally Jeez. came down to wow. the wash. So this is just short track world championships repeat for Blevins all over again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so so. Anyways, if Dude, I, Dylan, Dylan, if you had your drop bar bike and you were going sprinting to the line, like for sure, yeah, I definitely definitely would have been definitely would have not been sprinting with yeah. Blevins and Keegan. But if if but I had anyone made else it to that, if I had made it to that situation. I think that yeah. the drop bar mountain or like bike like Lance, you know Lance, who's a cross guy. He mm-hmm. he, I think he finished sixth, and he like whooped the sand pit. Like he would have yeah. he would have won by twenty seconds over both those guys. He was so fast through the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know if like Keegan pre rode the sand a bunch of times and like felt more comfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, or, I mean, you know, I know, Tyler, I know that all he it takes had, is like uh, deviating from the line a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that he Keegan had forty five Ramblers on, and Blevins had forty two Pathfinders mm. on. I mean, that's a that that's been, a small yeah. difference, but but when we're talking about sand, the wider the tire, the better you're going to ride it. Totally. Yeah. I mean that that could have been the difference right there. Mm-hmm. So, man, that's crazy. I didn't realize that it was such a such a close race. I mean, I looked at the finishing times and it looked close, but I didn't realize it was a sprint finish because if it's a sprint finish, usually the finishing times are almost identical, if not yeah, like a second yeah. or two off. I Because we, we did the shorter race, um, we finished like an hour and a half or two hours mm-hmm. before the before they did or whatever. So I actually, yeah. it was kind of sick. I got to watch those guys finish and I got a video off to send it to you or something um, so you can see what happened. But yeah, it was yeah. pretty sick. Yeah, please do. Sick man. Watching the watching the coverage on Instagram, it was pretty I don't know, it just looked like a ridiculously hard race from the gun where it was just, you know, the group was riding together and then like mile twenty-five it was down to like ten guys going into the first dirt section and then it just kind of whittled down from there. So yeah, it did not look like an easy race uh by any means, but it was exciting at least to watch those guys like throw haymakers at each other through the through some of those steep pitches that looked like probably the hardest part of the course was <laughs> just the last couple miles in the, uh, in the neighborhood and just steep pitches at one after the other. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was a wicked way to finish for sure. Like going through that neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, some of the steepest, like for sure the steepest paved pitches on, on course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lance said <clears throat> he was the last person not to make the front selection up the first like seven mile, like three percent grade before the first paved descent um he was like you know 10 or 15 seconds gapped off the group at like 400 watts for like 20 minutes so oh, it did not start easy it's crazy <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm sure it didn't i mean those guys don't like to start easy <laughs> you know and, and like i think part of it is like on paper you know it's 122 miles so like on paper compared to some of these other gravel races or especially like the training that Keegan and Russell and some of those guys have been doing like 122 miles doesn't seem like that long anymore. But yeah, the course was like, the course yeah. was hard enough that like it was still, it was no joke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the training that Keegan and Russell have been doing, I'm, I'm not a Strava stalker guy. I usually do not pay attention to what other people are doing on Strava. I just, I just focus on what I'm doing. But I, I can't I can't not look at what Keegan and Russell have been doing this winter because it is absolutely insane. Um, and it, it kind of blows my mind that the, they have the ability to recover from some of these massive weeks that they're doing, uh, especially so early in the season. I mean, I know I 
Like I would, I would love to do back to back 30 hour weeks with a ton of intensity in it in January, but I know that I would be wrecked for a month afterwards. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Um, it's just, it's incredible, man. How they're able to, yeah, it seems it. to be the, yeah. it seems to be like the separator, right? Like even in, even amongst like the, it kind of like, yeah, that's what separates those guys is just, I think their ability to recover. I don't, I don't know what numbers yeah. they're doing in terms of like absolute power. I'm sure it's really, really good, but yeah, it seems like the more I've gotten into cycling over the years, it seems, you know, the difference is how quickly can you recover from doing some ridiculous week like that? So yeah. Whatever their secret um, sauce is, let yeah. us know. Yeah, like even if I had, like even if I didn't have full time job and a kid and wife and house to care of and stuff like that, like uh, I don't, I don't know that I could come back from dude. What type of training no. they're doing, dude? There's, <laughs> there's very few people in the world that can come back from that, that. There's very few people in the world that can do the type of training that Keegan and Russell are doing and have it actually be effective for them because. 99.99999% of people would be overtrained if they did what they're doing. Totally. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's crazy, man. I don't, you know, I guess, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they've got some secret recovery tactic up their sleeve or if they're just so blessed genetically um, to be able to do that. But probably, probably a little bit both. of both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I, for anyone out there, like, you know, if you're looking to go do an event and you're like, I just don't know if I have the time to train for, you know, the, the longest event or, you know, coming in, you're just not fully prepared. Dude, I don't know. These like the, the like mid distance gravel is pretty fun. Um, you still get to like experience the course and you can ride it a lot harder than you would if you were doing the full race. Um, and you get to finish earlier and like hang out and not be totally smoked for days. So mm-hmm. don't be afraid. It, it was yeah. fun. Looks I don't like, know uh, that I would like intentionally do it again, but <laughs> un- unintentionally, sure. Yeah. At least you didn't do the wanna. It's so funny to me how uh, BWR calls the shortest race uh, the wanna, which I'm assuming is short for wannabe. Uh, it could be Pretty short much, for something yeah. else, but <laughs> just trolling. Like, there, uh... It's like waffle wafer and then wanna, and I was like. And I'm, Wanna, yeah. I'm looking at Wana and I'm thinking that's, I feel like that's a bit, I don't know, offensive to the people that are doing the shortest <laughs> race. It's like they're, so they're wannabe so my, racers or uh, something. So, uh, we've got a buddy back in, in Colorado and he, he like started an Instagram page that's called excess gravel. And, and he would just like go around he, he's like an, an ex like pro roadie. Um, and he, mm. he, Last year, he was just going around to like some of the bigger gravel races and doing the shortest course and just like mm-hmm. smoking everybody. <laughs> and, and it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's like, you, you don't have to ride 150 miles to have a good time. Sure. <laughs> Man. In fact, I would say you have to, I would say for the vast majority of people, you have to not ride 150 miles to have a good time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it is kind of strange, like, like cat one, uh, for any other discipline, um, the races are longer, right? Like cyclocross, you race for 60 minutes, road racing, you race for 80 to a hundred miles or more, uh, mountain bike, you're doing four laps instead of two or three, but like for gravel, it's just like, I guess if the pros are doing 200 miles, I should do 200 miles too. 
Yeah, well, I think a lot of these events borrow from, you know, the marathon running mentality where in a marathon running event, the, the, for, for most of the people in the marathon, their goal is just to finish or get a good finishing time. And then for, and then for the top 20, they're looking for a good placing, right? They're trying to either win the race or have a top 10 or whatever. I mean, that that is the case. That is the case for these, these, uh, you know, ultra long gravel races and ultra long mountain bike races. It's like the, there people aren't racing each other. They're racing themselves and just trying to finish for the most part. And that is totally, that is the yeah. accomplishment. So for sure. Um, yeah, it looked like, uh, it looked like Sophia absolutely demolished the women's race. The gap, I, I forget what the gap between her and second place was, but it was, it was substantial. It was like 15 minutes or something. Yeah, it was crazy. a lot. She's on. I mean, she's on some crazy good early season fitness now. It looks like I think she got like thirtieth in the out of the men or something really? like Jeez. that. I'd, I'd, I'd have to go I didn't, back. I didn't look at it. Go back and look, but yeah, wow, yeah, that's she's good. Flying right now. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, it, it wasn't even close. Yeah, yeah, she was crushing. Um, it. She she was I'm on sure the her. STR diverge too. She was on the full suspension okay. one. Yeah, I'm sure her mountain bike skills helped as well. You know, that sound that sounded like a total mountain biker course, even though it was technically a gravel race. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is the one bummer about doing the shorter distance was the first like forty miles of the course were shared with the longer course. So mm-hmm. like every single one of the dirt sectors, you're just like jammed up the whole time because you're like trying to mm-hmm. pass people from the the waffle course. Um, and obviously you started, like you're, you, you started start, after the waffle race. Yeah. We started like 10 minutes after them. So like, yeah, we, we, we picked off people bef- like before we even got done with the first climb, you know? So like it yeah. was pretty much passing people the whole time, um, which was like a little dangerous too. Like, like there was this like three miles, super fast descent, like, you know, ripping it like 40 miles an hour. Um, and we're like front group is like weaving through the back end of, you know, the, the, longer course on this like descent like wide open descent and like that was a little sketchy and then like the first let's see the first dirt section was like uphill so you're like jamming up this like technical trail and just weaving through people the whole time and like i don't know there there were there were a couple parts where like it felt a little irresponsible that you know we were riding so fast compared to everyone else <laughs> but i don't know it's like what you sign up for i guess sure yeah yeah I, um, I dropped my chain like 30 miles in. Um, and I was like, I was going pretty good. I was like ripping all the climbs, ripping the descents and dropped my chain on this like one G out kind of section. And because of all the lap traffic, you know, like you spend so much energy, like passing all these people. And then in the like two minutes it took me to get my chain back on, like not only did the five people or seven people from the front group pass me, but like so did 30 other people that I just passed, you know? So like yeah. it amplifies like the, you know, like the, the, the gap that you now have because you have to like come around yeah. all these people still to get back to the front group. So right. that was kind of a bummer. You didn't just set your but, bike sideways across the course and block them, like force them to go around you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have. Dude, come on. So got to do what you got to yeah. do. Man. Anyways, that was BWR. It, it was a good time. Nice. My takeaway from your BWR experience is that gravel just needs to be shorter, shorter gravel events. <laughs> That's the ticket. 
none of this 120 so, yeah, mile and shit. more technical so i like the technical courses because for me anyways it like helps to level the playing field like my <laughs> my mountain bike skills are like they're good but they're not like elite elite good so the mm-hmm. fastest guys not only are they stronger but they're also like more skilled whereas on the gravel bike like you can only push that bike so hard so like i can find that limit in just as well as anyone else can find that limit with that bike. So it at least like takes that skills component kind of out of the equation. And then Mm -hmm. it's just like a matter of like fitness. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be cool if gravel races got so short and technical that we just started racing mountain bikes and we called it (laughs) cross country mountain bike racing. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm the opposite. I want to, I want to see, I love the long gravel races. I, I actually, I actually like, that unbound is 200 miles. I think I'm, I think I'm like one of the few pros that is actually happy about unbound being 200 miles. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> um, well, cool. So man. anyway, so, so speaking of pros in 200 miles, there's a big pro 100 mile race coming up. Uh, yeah. Should we talk about mid South? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess Mid-South is typically the season opener for gravel, but honestly, it seems like BWR is, was a more stacked field Dude, than Mid-South. Is BWR, be, they are like, they're trying to swoop in and take the thunder where they can. Yeah. Like I, they put the, they, this event right before Mid-South. They put the next event right the week before uh, Sea Otter. The third event yeah. is the week before Unbound. Man, like, they yeah, they're really trying to disrupt the grand prix i mean it's cool it's it's good to see like you know it's uh it's good to see competition and it's good to see that the grand prix just doesn't have a complete monopoly over gravel racing you know what i mean yeah it's it's not even a grand prix race but you know you know what i mean they're the ncl of gravel is what you're saying (laughs) yeah next year there's going to be gravel teams and you guys are going to compete for points i mean yeah, when uh, gravel pri- privateering dies, I think I think the spirit of gravel will be officially dead at that point. <laughs> um, yeah, mid south is coming up. It looks like the conditions I don't think have ever been better for mid south. Um, and a- every time I talk to somebody at mid south, they're like, "Oh, looks like it's a mud fest every year. It just looks like awful conditions." And I I will say that. The photographers at Mid South really know how to make it look like it's worse than it is. For example, last year there was one muddy section in the whole race, and all the photographers were there taking all of the pictures. and uh, And people probably saw all those pictures and thought the entire race was like that. Most of the race was pretty dry and pretty optimal. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I know there have been really bad years. Like I think 2020 was a really bad year where it rained early and then it stopped raining, which meant the worst possible conditions because um, you get that clay mud that just cakes up in your bike and you can barely pedal and you've got to start running climbs and all of this. Uh, I think it's going to rain a bit today and we're, we're recording on Thursday for people who don't know the race is on Saturday. It's going to rain a bit today, going to be completely dry tomorrow and going to be completely dry on race day, which talking to some locals, they were basically like, that is, that means it's going to be hero dirt for the race. Sick. And also the temperature, uh, as of an hour ago, when I checked the weather for Saturday, it's a high of 79 degrees on race day, yes. which is insane. <laughs> It's going to be wow. too hot, which is something you don't expect at Mid South. Um, 
I'm not I'm not heat acclimated yet. I, th- <laughs> I don't know. So so that's that's completely that. changed then, right? Because because wasn't it supposed to be super cold? It was. Yeah, last week it was supposed to be. It, it was supposed to be a high of 42 or something and a low of 23, wow. which means you're going to be doing most of the race under freezing. And it completely did a 180 flip as far as temperature goes. So yeah, sick. Um, so I don't know, by the time people are listening to this, they might, you know, they may already know the race results, but, uh, um, no, dude, I'm going to pump this thing out and get it out. <laughs> okay. <Scott. laughs> yeah, man, get it out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, uh, um, it should be, it should be interesting. Apparently they're doing single track for the very first time in mid South history. Uh, it's a very short section of single track and I've heard it's very easy, but, the single track comes at mile 89 out of a hundred, which means that it's actually could be decisive because if somebody yeah. gets a gap going through the single, tr- for, first of all, if the front group is going to be absolutely battling at mile 88 to get to the single track first. And then if somebody does get a gap through that single track, uh, that could be the race winning move. How, how long is a single track? You said it's short, but how short? It's like a, a mile, mile and a half. Yeah. So a mile and a half. Dude, is I mean, like, it'd be, uh, be tough to get a gap uh, through that, unless like second per second wheel crashes or something. Well, I think too. Yeah, like, I mean, I, just, I, I um, haven't I haven't looked at the single track yet. It also depends on how technical it is. If it's not technical at all, I don't think anyone will get a gap. If there's a little bit of technical in it, somebody could. I don't know, Tyler. You just sent us some kind of uh, yeah the YouTube the pre, the, the pre ride the mid south one hundred pre ride. I don't know that it's technical. I, I would imagine that it's probably pretty like twisty, like flat, but mm. like kind of like twisty, I would say typical like South central U S single track, at least like around yeah. the Dallas area. When I lived there, it wasn't so much that it was um, technical, but a lot of like tree gates, a lot of tight twisty turns that you can't really get your momentum on. You kind of have to ride at that pace of like, you know, I, I don't know if you guys ever did drills of like, don't see how fast you could go through a, a little loop of, without touching your brakes, but it's that kind of where you're just like always kind of turning, I would imagine, Mm -hmm. but it'd be interesting to get your feedback, Dylan. Okay. Yeah. I'll probably check it out today. Um, this afternoon, just drive over there and, and look at it. I mean, I think you don't really need to pre-ride any other parts of the course because it's like, if you've seen five miles of the course, you've seen the whole thing. It's like unbound in that way. It's just, it's just endless rolling hills and gravel roads. You know, you go straight, then you make a 90 degree turn, then you go straight, then you make a 90 degree turn. And then, so, um, that's so your favorite. Video, that's <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. The video, I watched that, uh, the pre-ride video that, that they put out and, um, it, it looks like it's a, a stout amount of climbing. I don't know how the course has been in years past, but I mean, it's, it's, seems like it's well over like, I don't know, hundred, hundred feet per mile or something like that. Like they yeah, were, they were I, rattling I, off some ridiculous num- amounts of, uh, elevation gain. Well, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like every race that's not flat tries to really pump up the amount of elevation gain they have. I mean, the terrain here is rolling Hills. It's, it's like unbound it's rolling Hills. Um, so, you know, every climb is 30 seconds long. If that, um, and you know that can add up over the course of the race, but it's not it's not a climbing race. So, are, are you still considering which bike to use, or is it like are you no preset? No, absolutely, okay. absolutely, the gravel bike. Um, okay, good. I think that I think that. So, I'm 
I, I really want to get to the bottom of this question of uh, what is the optimal tire size for gravel. And I'm going to try to do that this year, taking into account both aerodynamics and rolling resistance, because a wider tire is obviously less aerodynamic. But I actually, I actually think that the wider the tire up to a certain point on gravel, the lower the rolling resistance. The question just becomes you know, where is the crossover point with those two variables, right? In mind. Um, so I think, I think for example, a 2.2 mountain bike tire, that's got a supple casing may be the lowest rolling resistance option, but when you're going at race pace and you're going 20 to 25 miles an hour, you're giving up a lot, um, in terms of aerodynamics. So yeah, it's a trade-off. Yeah, like I, I always just like I think about it like you know I can't really imagine riding twenty two miles an hour for a hundred miles on a mountain bike, right? Like it just doesn't seem like you could do that, even if you had the gearing. Mm-hmm. But on a gravel bike, it's like oh yeah, like totally you can can do that. So yeah, well, I don't what know. If like, it, what if it was a gravel? Okay, so what if it was a gravel bike with two point two mountain bike tires though? Well, I know your drop bar mountain bike, but still like I don't know. No, I'm not. About, so, so I'm like, I, I think my drop bar mountain bike is quite a bit less aerodynamic as a bike than my gravel bike. But I'm, oh, what I'm saying, saying is, yeah. what if you had a gravel bike that had clearance for 2.2 mountain bike tires? Would that be faster or would that not be faster? That's what I'm not sure. Like, is it the position on a mountain bike, you know, or, or the mountain bike itself? Or is it like, is it the fact that the tires are so big? Like, I'm not sure. I haven't really, you know, pressure tested mm-hmm. that uh, scenario either. It just seems like I, I couldn't imagine riding, you know, 22 miles an hour for a sustained period yeah. of time on a mountain bike. Yeah. Well, the position on a mountain bike definitely doesn't help. I mean, it's like the worst totally. aerodynamic yeah. position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So are you going mean, to run your 47 millimeter tires? Yeah, I'm going to do 47s. Um, I, the, when I put out that picture of all those tires, almost all of those are 47s. Like I plan on, and, and, you know, maybe I'll go back to 42s if I find that the arrow, uh, like there's too much of an arrow cost doing 47s, but I, as of right now, um, I'm planning on doing 47s for almost every gravel race that I do. If you, if you don't go back to the 42s, you can just send them my way. (laughs) Okay. Hey, hold on a second. I I, I need to pay (laughs) two. I pre-rode most of the course on 38s. And then put 42s on just the day of the race. And man, those 42s felt like tractor wheels. Like, they felt so <laughs> big compared to the 38s even. Like they felt and, like slower. I don't No, no, no. They were just big. I mean, like it, it just looked mm-hmm. like I looked down on them. And I'm like, wow, these are fat. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's all what you're used to, man. Yeah, when I oh, look at sure. 42. Like I, dude, when I look at 42s now, I'm like, what is that skinny is it road tire? <laughs> it's like a freaking, what are you doing with this skinny tire on your bike for this off-road race? I mean, real like, and dude, when I see a 38, I just, <clears throat> I mean, I'm so biased at this point to wider tires, but when I see somebody with a 38 tire, I'm just, I'm just like face palming <sighs> internally. You just write them <laughs> off. Yeah. That's Scum of the earth. That's why Dylan had to turn off early when we rode together on Wednesday because I had 38 times <laughs> for him. He was like, hey, man, I, yeah. I Tyler and I, Tyler and I rode together in, uh, in Bentonville and he had, he had some god awful tires on. I don't know what they were. But. <laughs> Not Pathfinders. 
Were they cyclocross tires? Not even available. No, no, no. They were they were actual gravel tires, but they were Pirellis. But I can't remember if they were. I told Dylan I threw the thirty eights on just for him. So nice, <laughs> kept up just fine. I don't know why you're talking shit about thirty eights, but uh-huh. yeah, yeah. I I honestly did not feel like the forty twos were an advantage on the the single track stuff. What? It could be the, it could be like the perception, like on 38s, like you're on the limit a bit more. So you like feel like you're going faster, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. Okay. Like, so it so also could have been because there was so much traffic. I, I like never got a chance to like really open it up. Sure. So here's what I will say about wide tires on gravel. And I think this is why narrower tires still prevail in all disciplines of sight. I mean, we're slowly getting wider in road and in mountain bike and gravel Slowly, it's getting wider, but I think the reason why this notion that skinnier is faster still prevails is because it feels faster, right? It feels faster to be vibrating all over the place and be on the edge of control, but if you look at the speed that you're actually going, it's it's probably slower. It just doesn't feel slower. Yeah, I I should go back and look at, like, some of the Strava times between, like, pre-ride and race day to see if there's, like, a noticeable difference so one one analogy that i that i give out when people when i'm talking about this is for example in downhill you know downhill was 26 inch bikes forever and then they went to 27.5 and 27 everyone was on 27.5 and now everyone in downhill is on 29er and 29 inch wheels on a downhill bike was like unthinkable 10 years ago um or maybe 15 i don't know i don't know how long ago but a while ago it was unthinkable and when, yeah. and I'm pretty sure that the first team to go for 29 or downhill bikes was uh, Santa Cruz Syndicate with Greg Menar. Um, and I remember an interview with Greg Menar saying, "Yeah, these 29 inch wheels feel slower. Like I could, when I get to the bottom of the run, I swear that my time is lo- is is uh, slower. And then I look at the time and it's faster. So that's that is very analogous to what's going on with." with wider tires on a gravel bike or on a mountain bike or on a road bike. Wider tires feel slower, but they're actually faster. Yeah. I can see it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. <clears throat> Dude, yeah. when, are, when are you going to, and maybe you don't care cause you want, you want the advantage, but someone needs to have a conversation with Keegan and tell him that those Maxis refuge tires that he always talks about how he, if he wants to go fast, he uses the refuse. Does he say that? Yeah. That's why they use him. Like I thought he used him because he didn't want it flat. No, because they're slicks. Oh my gosh does does he not know about bicycle? You cannot tell me that Keegan doesn't know about bicycleRollingResistance.com. <laughs> Dude, uh, do you want to tell him Tobin, about it though? Tobin, <laughs> Tobin, I think used the refuse at at BWR. That's such a bad idea because they're slower and they provide less traction for the single track. Um. Yeah. But anyways, wow. yeah, I mean, someone's got to tell those I guys mean, those, those tires are not I mean, the go-to. Dude, I feel bad. I feel bad for any gravel racer that's sponsored by Maxxis. I mean, their their mountain bike tires are very good. Like, they've really dialed their mountain bike tires. Their gravel tires are awful. <laughs> like, they're not <laughs> fast, and they're not puncture-resistant, unless we're talking about the refuse, and then we're talking about the slowest gravel tire you can be on, which only makes all of Keegan's accomplishments even more impressive, to be honest with you. Like, he, <laughs> like he, he's doing so well in these gravel races on the slowest gravel tire. that Like, 
If you go to bicyclerollingresistance.com, the refuse is at the bottom of the list. There's not a tire on the list that's slower than the refuse. I can confirm looking at pictures from the race that Tobin did not, in fact, have the refuse on. It looks like he's got like a big old rambler on there. But yeah, oh, yeah okay. the refuses are so slow. I think that, okay, uh, that's good. I think that Keegan said he was on 45 Ramblers. And if I was sponsored by Maxis and doing that race, that's exactly the tire I would have chosen is the 45 yeah. Rambler. Yeah. Maybe they must've both switched then. Cause like the day before I know that they, one of them posted a video, like we're still trying to figure out if we want to go with the super fast refuse or oh, the, you know. super fast refuse, dude. <laughs> what? Yeah. Dude, something they like need that. A, it's you know what blows my mind too is it's really not that hard to test how fast the tire is you pick a section of gravel and then you ride it at a certain power output and then you switch tires like these guys have multiple wheel sets you switch wheel sets with a different tire and then you ride it at the same power output and you look at your time it's not it's not rocket science to figure out which one of these gravel tires is faster yeah i mean i i you know it, I've I've heard I, mean, I I don't know I don't know Keegan well enough but I've heard that he does test things a lot and I you know I don't know how he wouldn't know that the refuse is is dog slow especially with all the time that he spends on that tire. I don't know. Is he is he going to be at uh Mid South this weekend? Uh he's not on Are the him start and Russell list. going. Okay. Yeah, they're not on the start list so. Is anyone from BWR going? Like, or was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seem like guys made Pete's decision. Gonna be there. Pete's going to be there. Griffin Easter's going to be there. Uh, Adam Robert. So, yeah. No, I'm very thankful that Keegan and Russell aren't going to be there because they would probably make us all look like fools. <laughs> um, it it doesn't matter if they've got the refuse or not. They could have the refuse on and they'd still just whoop us all. <laughs> um. But yeah, so thick. Yeah. Well, should we no, I, some, and, some, and yeah. I was it was super cool stopping uh, in Bentonville on the way over. I'd been in Bentonville for Big Sugar, but dude, that is crazy. The cycling inf- infrastructure in that town. I mean, I know people hear about this all the time, but when you actually go there, it's like there's you just look to the side of the road and there's nonstop trails. Um, yeah, and then in the surrounding area, it seems like there's there's tons of gravel too. So. Um, did you guys ride know, mountain bikes? Probably, oh no, you said you were on your gravel bike. Yeah, I didn't bring a mountain bike. I just brought a gravel bike. So, did you guys hit some trails or something at least? Uh, no, no, not on our not on our ride that we put together. It was just purely gravel. Okay, it's a little too. Didn't want to, you know, Dylan to get over his head with how technical it is. So, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Also, also like so. Both times that I've been in Bentonville, I've stopped at the Meteor either to, I don't know, do some work at the coffee shop or get something done at the little bike shop area. And that place seems like it's the central hub for cyclists in Bentonville. Like it's always packed and there's always there's always rides going on from there. Um, I don't know. It's I've I've never witnessed a a bike shop in a town be such a such a such a central component of the cycling culture there yeah i mean they've done a good job of just everything starts out of there right like every packet pickup every whatever is just you know starts there at the meteor so people people come through um all the time whether it's yeah Yeah. for bike parts or just to to hang out and and get their picture taken 
buy the sign or something like that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, man, Hey, Do people want to know why you didn't show up to the, uh, to the Tuesday night worlds ride. I didn't I had, dude, I had I people ask me, they're like, is Dylan going to come to Tuesday night world? <laughs> I'm not part of the, I'm not part of the Bentonville culture. I didn't even know there was a Tuesday night worlds. I probably wouldn't yeah, have showed but, up because I, my legs were still pretty cooked after coming off of my last block, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, on your way back, you can, uh, you can, you can stop in five thirty from right. Onyx. So, or five fifty five. Right. I can't remember what time it is now. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it a solid ride? Yeah, it can be. Um, they try to mix it up with a new, a new route each week. So it's a little bit different and you definitely, is that, if you're not from is here, that a road ride? route, uh, this past week was the last gravel ride that they did. Okay. Um, so it kind of went out uh, where we were, um, out mm-hmm. a little bit east of town and then, and then came back. Um, but they've started to do some like night mountain bike rides. Um, you know, with the time change, they'll probably switch over to, uh, more road rides. So they try to try to mix it up here instead of just being like, nice. you know, one same route, only road all the time. But yeah, people are, people are asking. So, you know, <laughs> now, you know, so if you pass through yeah. on a Tuesday, I can't skip. I out. need to, I need to spend more time in Bentonville and I need to bring my mountain bike. Um, so yeah. yeah. How yeah. about October? <laughs> yeah, very possibly. Um, cool. Should we do questions? Yeah. Do you do you still have any that uh, people sent submit uh, to you? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think I have questions. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Hold on. Uh, maybe maybe something to talk about on your podcast is why it's so hard to find results when these races are over. Very frustrating when I have to scroll through 80 Instagram stories just to see a picture of fucking Keegan winning. <laughs> <laughs> you should just know uh, if keegan's on the start list who won you don't even I, need to go look. this person this person seems very I'm surprised it took there. 80 pictures to to get a, <laughs> to, to a photo of keegan winning yeah this person seems very pissed off that keegan won <laughs> is, it, um, is chris blevins in your dms <laughs> um yeah i, I don't mean, know is, I, so go ahead i i will say that i was looking for the you know, I, I knew quite a few people in that race. So I was looking for results for just a result. I, you know, I knew who won, but I wanted to see a results sheet for a while. And it, it did take, take them a little bit to put that out, but yeah, I mean, they have timing chips. Like why isn't there just one website where we can go and like, like cyclocross 24 exists and 10 minutes after the race, I can see, you know, mm-hmm. who, what the results were time gaps, maybe even laps if they have them. It's almost yeah. like, Tell hey, tell Daniel to uh, Daniel if you're listening. Let's go add this to the to the website gravel power rankings or something <laughs> like that. Some live uh-huh. live results. Yeah, it does. It does suck that they're. Yeah, I agree that like BWR they post their results on some obscure website. Lifetime has their own obscure website. Mid South probably is going to have their own obscure website. It's like why isn't there just one central location where at least just the results sheet? You just upload a PDF. It's like not that hard. Mm. Yeah. Lame. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so I don't know. Um, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if that was, I, a, I don't know if that was a question or just a statement, but that's just a rant. <laughs> so, so you can move on to the questions you have. <laughs> okay. Um, dude, we got blown up with questions on Instagram, but I'm going to do the last email question first. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, okay. 
Okay, this 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 person has two questions. They sent two questions in one week, and they don't want us to use their name. Oh my god. Okay, question for the Bonk. <laughs> question for the Bonk brothers. Since I was born before 1990, do you think it is time for Dylan to get a coach? By his own admission, he has at times not followed his own advice or the research on things. And please, no more talk about Greece. Thanks. Greece? Do we think talk he's talking about, about chain loop? <laughs> if you're putting grease on your chain, that's uh that's Ed. Have we even <laughs> talked about have we even talked about grease one time on this podcast? <laughs> Dude, I don't know. Maybe yeah, like, I'm Gre- sure like, we talked about bottom bracket grease. I think we've talked no, about grease. He's on talking the about chain match. loop. He's talking about chain loop. He's got the <laughs> chain loop. Okay. Uh all I right. don't think so I answer that one first. All right, all right, all right. Um, yeah, when I made that video that was like, I'm changing my training, which was a very inflammatory thumbnail and title. If you actually watch the video, you realize that I'm changing very little about my training. Um, but I think some people who just saw the thumbnail and title, or maybe only watched the first minute of the video or something, got the idea that I'm completely making like this big 180 flip to my training, which is absolutely not the case at all. And I also don't think that I've admitted that I don't follow the science with my own training. Um, I do change things mid-season uh, as I see fit. I do, I, I do that a lot. I don't just blindly stick to my training plan that I wrote in January and hope that it works out. Um, but uh, do I need a coach? I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I need a coach. I, I think that I... Uh, I think that if I Jim had Jim Miller, coach, if you're listening, hit up Dylan. <laughs> Got to get you on that Keegan training plan. Uh, I'll just send you a link to the Ignition Coach Co. form to fill out. And we'll just like all have interviews with you and pass you around. Yeah, I think I think that if I had a I, th- I think that if I had a coach at this point in my career, I would have I would be questioning almost everything that was prescribed. Like I would be a horrible client because I, I'd be the annoying client that's like questioning everything. Um, I know more than you. Yeah, I'm one of those. Uh, so, and and the other thing is the other thing too is that um, like I've I've had this conversation quite a bit uh, about how gravel, like the level of gravel racing, just continues to ratchet up. And if you just look at results from year to year, it looks it it might look like somebody at my ability level uh, is getting slower when in fact. If you look at my power numbers, I'm actually getting faster. Um, Maybe your equipment's but, just getting slower. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> so it's 47 mil Maybe tires, you should go bro. Skinnier, <laughs> skinnier tires. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like it's like I, I'm making improvements. Which to make improvements when you're you know 15 plus years into the sport is quite challenging. But every year there's there's 20 new fast guys and it is just, it just gets the competition just gets harder and harder and harder. So if you were to just with no other context, if you were to just look at say the results from unbound from the past five years or the results from mid South from the past five years, you might conclude that a certain person is getting slower when in fact, either they are the same level or they may have even gotten faster. So, yeah. Yeah. So long story short, Dylan doesn't need a coach. He's too good for that. <laughs> He's yeah, too stubborn for that. I guess that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next question. 
Have you seen the recent study on the ketogenic diet that showed an increased risk of cardiovascular disease? And do you think this will cause many fat adapted athletes to change their diets? And then he includes a link, which I did not open, but it says keto like diet may be associated with a higher risk of heart disease, according to new research. I mean, I I know, it seems like kind of intuitive. Like if you're just eating, you know, bacon lard for so every yeah, meal should of I the go, day. Like, should I go on one of my keto rants here? Um, sure. <laughs> dude, so so first of all, no, this study will not sway the keto people's opinion. And and I, I don't want to be too harsh on, on keto dieters, although I, I've had no problem being harsh on keto dieters. And maybe it'll I'll end up being harsh on them here. But that... Whenever I make a video where I say anything bad about the ketogenic diet, it seems like keto dieters come out of the woodwork to, you know, tell me I'm an idiot or I don't know anything. Um, and I don't think that they, and I've, I've looked into the, so I've looked a little bit into the research on how keto diet affects health. Although I, I couldn't like, I couldn't recite that research research for you right now, but I have looked pretty extensively into the research in how the keto diet affects cycling performance because I've made multiple videos on it at this point. And these studies that keto dieters cite for improving performance, what they, what they show is that an athlete gets more fat adapted, which means that they use more fat as a fuel source to ride their bike. And the argument that I always make is, okay, that's great that you are burning more, you know, you're using more fat as a fuel source, but cycling is not a sport where the winner is the person who used the most fat during the race. A cycling, cycling is a sport to see who can cross the finish line first. So I don't care how much fat you're using in a race. What I care about is crossing the finish line first. And yes, using more fat could theoretically get you to that point, but I want to see evidence that it'll get you to that point, if that makes sense. Um, so as far as, as far as ketogenic diet, what, what, what was it causing cardiovascular disease? Heart disease, yeah, which the, is like the number one heart disease. Yeah. Dis- yeah. Killer I mean, of people, right? In the U S or something. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not shocked. <laughs> I'll say that I'm not shocked. So, so you're, you're okay. Yeah. I'm not even going to go there. All right. <laughs> what you can go there <laughs> yes i was gonna say that basically you're saying you're saying that all these athletes even if they see that their diet is potentially going to kill them that they will still put their potential for performance improvement first so so because you said that this, I, this study won't see, sway them yeah yeah i mean i see it, it's it's interesting a lot of a lot of people make the analogy that um you know these different diet fads are like being in a cult because people, people attach onto one of them. And I I'm part of one of the cults. I'm, I'm a vegan, right? A lot of people like say that veganism is a cult. Uh, a lot of people say that keto is a cult uh, because it's got that cult mentality where you're like, you can't question it. Um, once you're in it. And I, I don't, I don't think it's as far like these diets are as far as being a cult, but I will say that, that, there are similarities. I mean, there, there's a point at which people get so wrapped up in these diets that they, they don't want to hear evidence that the diet is not effective. Um, so, you know, and, and what, what I'll, you know, what I'll say about, uh, about veganism is I don't, 
I think I have one video about veganism and how it affects cycling performance. And I'm pretty sure it was a, it was a long time ago that I made the video. And I'm pretty sure at the end of the video, I said that the research is inconclusive because I do think that the research is inconclusive. It doesn't mean I think it's better or worse. I just, I, I don't think we have enough data at this point, but I don't think that the research is inconclusive on how yeah, veganism Keegan's not affects. a vegan. He's fine. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I don't, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think you need to be a vegan to be fast at all. Like that's, that's not a, that's not a belief that I hold. However, I do think that a vegan diet, um, is pro probably one of the best diets for long-term health, um, and extending lifespan as, as long as possible. And I do think that there's evidence for that. So we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but yeah, we already, we already, already Keegan doesn't enough. even eat. <laughs> Why Dude, would he, Keegan, he doesn't Keegan burn just drink, calories. Keegan just drinks monster, man. What are you talking about? His, he rides, exactly. he races less time than everyone else. <laughs> That's true, dude. He doesn't need to eat that much. He just need he all he needs is a monster and he's good to go. <laughs> um okay, so next one. This is more of a just a funny comment. So this one comes from Kurf on Instagram. He said, "I had been listening to another podcast at 1.5 speed when I switched to the Bonk Bros and I overshot the Oh, actually he calls it the Brethren of Bonk." Never heard that one. Uh, what, I overshot the dial for normal speed and sent it into half speed. And it just sounded like Scott was sitting around talking to Scott, except in full sentences and complete thoughts. Keep up the good work. I hope you guys can survive now that the Aerobar controversy has been partially settled. That was just funny. Yeah. <laughs> since since scott's never coming back on this podcast uh apparently maybe we should just maybe we should just have like uh you know the idea of doing like an episode of where scott just answers your questions we could just like slow it down to half speed and it'd be like the <laughs> the essence of scott is there you know yeah well if dude if if scott was answering all the questions we would answer all the questions in not even a full podcast it would only take us about half a podcast to answer everyone's question <laughs> Yeah, so let us know if you really want us to bang these out because we've got like twenty some questions in queue. If you want to, if you want to really bang them out, we'll just get Scott to rattle through all of them. That should be a Patreon level, like if you 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 know <laughs> it's a Patreon only episode where Scott just answers ten questions. It's a five minute episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like the worst return on your investment because yeah, it's so short. <laughs> um, okay, right. so this one comes from friend of the podcast Carson. He says, mm. so not really a question, but more of a gamble. If I catch Dylan at Sea Otter, he can never run arrow bars again. Also, his lack of confidence in me made my last interval session better today. So thanks. Good. So I, I think dude, this, was, I hope, this was this was this was when we were talking about how at Sea Otter they're starting us like five minutes behind you guys. Yeah. Which apparently they're not doing actually. They're not gonna do that. What? They're gonna start really? the pros together. Yeah. They oh, sick. Okay. Um that's good. Uh, yeah. So we can't really run run this experiment or this this bet uh that Carson wants to do. Yeah, I did so I did hear uh that that Carson got a little a little tuffed at uh what I said about cuz cuz I think I think the conversation was we were talking about how some random east coaster is going to win nationals this year, mountain bike nationals and then you said yeah. and then you said what about Carson and I said, that's the perfect example of a random East Coaster winning nationals. And I mean, I mean that with no offense, Carson, because I know you're listening right now. I mean that with absolutely no offense. 
if if somebody like Blevins or Keegan Swenson or Russell Finsterwald doesn't win nationals, then it's an unexpected person winning nationals. I don't and and uh, maybe random East Coaster is too harsh, but you know that's so. Like, if, <laughs> what if you what if you won the first inaugural like gravel nationals? Would you consider yourself a random East Coaster who won gravel nationals? Yeah, because I would be an unexpected person to win it. Yeah. Okay, so that's fair. So yeah. Carson, you and you and Dylan are are on equal playing fields. No, dude, he's faster than me at XE mountain biking for sure. We're not on equal playing fields. Carson, okay, is Carson, you're way better than at, Dylan. And and Carson is probably going to beat me at Sea Otter, and I'm not going to stop running arrow bars because of it. <laughs> Carson, you should do gravel nationals just so you can beat Dylan. No, Carson, you need. I, Carson, I'm telling you right now, you're a random East Coaster. No one cares about you. And uh, you need to prove me wrong by doing cross-country nationals and winning. And then you're not going to be a random East Coaster anymore. So I, I'm I'm actually glad that I'm getting you fired up to do your interval sessions better. Yeah, I meant, I meant go, absolutely no offense uh, or disrespect or anything by what I said. Uh, but I, I, I do stand by it. <laughs> Um, okay, this next one is more of a training question, so I'm going to maybe push that. Hey, Joel, on Instagram, if you're listening and you're wondering why your question's not getting answered here, we're going to answer it on the Matchbox podcast because that's a training podcast. Um, not that we don't like talking about training, but it's like very specific training. Um, okay, this one is comes from uh, uh, Alvaro. I'm not sure of if this has been asked before, but as someone that dislikes going to the gym... What would you guys recommend for a simple at-home gym setup? Love the podcast, by the way. Keep at it. So, uh, I mean, this is sort yes. of like training, per, you know, tangent. Yeah. But. Well, sort of, but it's like, yeah. I mean, biggest thing, you need a squat rack. Um, and then everything, <laughs> else is, everything else is secondary. You need a squat rack, you need a bar, and you need, you need plates, 45-pound plates. And, basically, uh, you need a whole maybe, gym. Yeah, so no, 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 just no, go no, to no. the gym. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and and the thing is, like, I do get this question, um, like, what can I do at home? Like, can I, you know, can I use barbell or can I use um, dumbbells? Can I use, I don't know, freaking gallons of milk? Can I use, uh, <laughs> can I use my my, uh, you know, three year old daughter? Can I, whatever? I don't know. <laughs> and it's like, you know. I mean, I, you know, you can, you can sort of half-ass it with stuff around the house, I guess, but like if you, and I I know that a squat rack is a pretty expensive piece of gym equipment and it takes up a lot of space, but if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna actually go to a gym and you're going to take lifting for cycling seriously, that, that is the piece of equipment that you need. Um, so it might be a little bit of an investment, but in the long term, you'll probably save money over having a gym membership for X number of months. Yeah, I mean, I was just having this conversation with a friend because um, I had to drive down to go to the gym. And it's, you know, you can do some stuff with kettlebells at home if you're, but though even those kind of get expensive, I guess. But I mean, you know, you could buy a, a trap bar for a hundred bucks off of Amazon and then, you know, I don't know, look on Craigslist for a gym in your area that's selling off weights or going out of business or something like that. And you can get a decent setup for relatively cheap. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're trying to take it serious, you can do some stuff at home, but if you're trying to take it seriously and get stronger, just go yeah. to the gym. Now I sound like that Here, dude on Instagram. That's like the long hair yelling at everybody to go to the gym. 
<laughs> I don't know this dude. Uh, sorry, yeah, Tyler, I mean, but, but, sorry, Tyler, but you don't look like that guy. I do, I do not. <laughs> I look jacked. You need, you need the hair. Um, yeah, and and the thing is, the it, it's good to work a bunch of different muscle groups that you don't hit when you're cycling, yes, but if you're trying to get faster, the muscle group that you need to be working is the quads. And the quads are such a large muscle that in order to adequately stress them, you need a lot of weight. Um, like just, you know, using whatever you find around the house is probably not going to be sufficient. Um, or, or even using dumbbells for that matter is probably not going to be sufficient. I know you can get creative with doing one leg stuff and, and everything. Um, you know, if you do one leg stuff, obviously you can use lighter weight since you're only using one leg and not both legs. But, um, it just seems like a suboptimal solution to me. That's right. Do it right yeah. the first time. Get to the gym. That's true. Yeah, that is very true. It's going to be cheaper to do it right the first time than to do it wrong. Okay, this next one comes from Doc on Instagram. He says, if arrow socks disrupt the airflow around your lower legs, do you think my full beard is disrupting the airflow around my shoulders and chest, making me more arrow? I'd ask Dylan to test, but he <laughs> admitted he's not old enough to grow a beard yet. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, dude, I can barely grow a mustache, man. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not the person to test that. Dude, how are you, uh, gravel dude? Though, if you can't grow a mustache, yeah, I know. I need a quick gravel right now. Um, you know what's funny about this is I think GCN just put out a video about whether beards are more arrow. Um, so I mean, you he sent this an- question like two weeks ago, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so maybe uh, maybe go over to the GCN channel there and uh, see what they have to say. I will say that um, I think that Specialized did a wind tunnel episode where they tested facial hair, and they, they found that there was no difference. But I don't think the person that they were testing on had a massive beard. It was just kind of light, like a goatee or something. Um, I'm going to bring in uh, the sage wisdom of... Uh a German climber named Alex Magos and just answer that by saying style first. <laughs> you know, these, uh, you know, the, how the new specialized TT helmets have like this sock that you have to wear over your neck. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, they're and supposedly, <laughs> right. And supposedly that's making the riders more aerodynamic to wear this sock over their neck. Um, what if it's, what if in you know, for some weird reason, a beard actually improves your aerodynamics. I don't know. Do you, do you think the sock thing, did, did they get that from like race car driving? Cause they always wear a sock under their helmet too. Well, race yeah, car drivers like, do it because if they crash and their, <laughs> yeah. And their car blows up, like hopefully they don't get their neck burnt. Definitely not for aerodynamics. You think this, you think a sock is going to help you from your neck burning? No, dude, it's a, it's a fire, it's like a fire retardant sock on their neck. Sure. I mean, I don't know enough about car driving, but like that is, it's definitely, they're definitely not wearing it for, you mean like an F1 where their head is poking out? No, I know they're not wearing it for aerodynamics. I, I was just saying, why do you you think think they got the idea? I have no idea. a market for rule 28 to jump into. Dylan, you should get on that. No, I, I'm yeah, dude. 
I need to do that early. Dude, do you can the just buy a balaclava on, on Amazon, dude. Dude, the specialized head sock <laughs> looks so awful. There's no reason that they would do it other than it improves aerodynamics. I mean, why would you do that just because you think it looks cool? Because it definitely does not look cool. That's what I was saying. Like, like you know, like the, you know, Formula One drivers, they, you know, put their, air, their head sock on and then they put their helmet on. Like, yeah. do you think that's where they're like, hey, I wonder what that's no. for? And then they like test it in the air tunnel and then they're like, oh, wow, it actually saves a lot. Uh, Let's hope not. I don't know. <laughs> Let's hope not. That was our conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I think they we'll, claim we'll stick that it's with the, the fireproof. That sounds cooler. <laughs> I maybe think maybe, maybe specialized is worried about their athletes, dude. They want to keep their athletes safe. Yeah, they don't want they don't want the motor they, like, and those specialized bikes crash? to blow up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All their e bikes. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if a beard is more or less hero. Sorry. I mean, surely they've tested this in like. You know, well, I just I, I just said I just said that specialized. I will say, win, and win Doc probably knows this. It's it's much warmer. Like. Since I've shaved my beard off and it's still winter here, like my face is way colder when I go out to ride. Mm. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that if I had the ability to grow a beard, like if I had enough testosterone to grow a beard, I would probably do it. It would probably be a winter thing for me, and then I'd probably shave it in the summer. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I recommend. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, hey. Do we want to keep doing these or? Or shut it down. Uh, we can do one more. Let's do one more. Okay. Sorry, Andy. We're not going to do yours because it requires some research. We'll do that next time. Mm. Do we ever do oh, research on we this go. podcast? No, like he sent a this YouTube video podcast. that I think oh, okay. that he references. So yeah. I don't know. Uh, this one's kind of a long one too. Um, it's about the Lifetime Grand Prix. Mm. Maybe I'll do it. It's fine. All right. Uh, I says, so I'm aware Dylan can't just invoke the spirit of gravel to change the Lifetime Grand Prix, but maybe you guys can see what you think of this idea. What if okay. Lifetime made a series that anyone who does all of the races in the series, minus one, uh, can be a participant where there is no participant limit? If there were 500 finishers, they'd all get to see their results digitally, and they'd be running and they'd be in the same running as the pros. This connects the pros with the weekend warriors and adds to the experience of those who fund the lifetime series. This should be a solid business decision for lifetime. It'll drive participation and avoid the awkward misfortune of having the lifetime pros start ahead of the rest of the pro field. How embarrassing to be given a handicap over the other fast pros. Um, and then yeah. I don't, well, I don't, I don't think they're, gonna, I don't the think heck? they're going to do that. Uh, I don't think they're going to do that at Seattle, and I don't think they're going to do that at any other race. They're going to have all the pros start together. Um, Dude, so I mean, they kept they going, but, it, but like they won't do it. But I mean, that was kind of my—I don't know, however many episodes ago—that was like my complaint, right? Because you get these people that sign up, or they get selected to be in the Grand Prix, and then they halfway through, you know, are like, "Oh well, I don't like this, so I'm out." You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> It'd be a more <laughs> So, it'd be more like egalitarian or like a, a way that everybody yeah. could participate. So I so yeah. I can see both I can actually see both arguments and I would be I would be fine if they did what this person is suggesting. I think that'd be fine. But I actually I actually think that them making the series exclusive to this, you know, 70 rider pool that they have, making the series exclusive actually incentivizes pros to stick to the series 
more so than any other series in the U.S. ever has. Because most of the time what happens with a series is that, you know, if if pros don't do well in the first couple of races, they completely bag the series and there's no incentive for them to keep going. And then at the end of the series, you've got like less than 10 pros that finish the whole thing. Now, I get that if they don't restrict it to just pros, you could have a lot of people finishing the whole thing, but you would get less very fast people finishing the entire series yeah. if they weren't so okay hold on I, I found the rest of his question or his thing because because he goes on and and this is where it gets kind of interesting so he says you could have a field of male and female invited riders that the lifetime series supports put them up waive their fees maybe fly them out pay their expenses etc uh this avo- avoids the embarrassment of of the multiple pro versus lifetime series podiums during lifetime series races while still getting your marketing and pr value out of your chosen riders there can still be pro and open wave start fields but it would provide an opportunity for the best riders to c- compete for the win uh focus on content creation on invited pros but when the uninvited member slash participant wins a race or podiums focus coverage their way that way, someone like Lawrence Tendam won't get snubbed on coverage if they win again. Lifetime has a toe the line in order to get the best return on their investment, along with putting forward a competition worthy of the no-holds-barred best gravel and mountain bikers in the world. Oh, and then he says, I'm interested in hearing Adam's thoughts on this as a participant of many races in the series as a pro without actually being part of the series. So so basically what he's saying, I mean, it's so... so Here's what you get, and this is where maybe Lifetime was actually kind of savvy in their business strategy here, is they created this exclusive series where you had to apply to get in. If you got accepted, you really don't get anything for it unless you get top 10 in the series, right? Sure, you you might get waived your entry fee this year, but last year you didn't even get waived your entry fees. Um, Mm -hmm. You had to, like, you know, hopefully get sponsors exemptions to, like, you know, get entry fees covered. Um, So they're basically getting they're getting commitment from all these top riders that they're going to be at their races without having to pay them uh, start fees, which that's like, that's pretty unconventional. Like in most other sports, you're going to get an appearance fee. If you're like going to guarantee mm-hmm. that you're going to be at this event, if you're a top name rider or athlete or whatever, um, you know, so it's kind of what he's saying here is like ditch, ditch the exclusive nature and just go to, with the traditional nature of like, Hey, if you want to get, the Keegans, mm. the Russells, the Dillons, the whoever, the top names. The power just go out. You got to pay for that. Like, give them appearance fees. But then don't don't separate them from the rest of the field when it comes time to doing the actual competition. I don't know. It's an Can interesting thought. I, I see both ways. Um, I personally, like, I don't feel... Like, when I show up to the race, like, I don't really think about the fact that, like, I'm not part of the series. Like, I just, I'm there to race the race. It doesn't matter that I'm not part of the series. Um being part of the series like elevates your exposure and publicity and things like that. And like, sure you get a chance to contend for the overall. Um, but you know, when it comes time to racing the individual races, like it doesn't matter to me that I'm not part of the series. It would at something like sea otter where they were considering, uh, having different starts for the lifetime grand prix riders, you know, where they were going to start mm-hmm. 10, five or 10 minutes ahead. And then the rest of the pro field starts after that. But it sounds like Dylan said they, they nixed that idea, which I think is good. Yeah. I mean, it's, you have to like, 
it's it's a contract, right? Like I, I get the Lifetime Grand Prix is trying to create stories and create like people to follow, right? Characters to follow, similar to what all these Netflix series are doing, but maybe to a lesser degree. And if they just let anybody in, then it's like, well, then it's hard to follow the series. But I mean, to the the listener's point, like the question, like you have you can have invited writers that that get told, but also you know it leaves space for other storylines to develop like a uh, Ivar winning unbound or like Lawrence Tendam or, you know, whoever, you know, coming back and, and being competitive. Um, so I can, I can see it that way. I mean, you're talking about like appearance fees that it's an interesting concept because I know that in European cyclocross, when you get a start fee, like you can't, you have to start and finish the race or have an official result in the race. You can't just like, you know, register and then be expected to pay like you actually have to toe the line and like like do the race um yeah instead of just getting like the major benefit and i think that's i think the part that frustrates me about how the grand prix worked last year again for all the reasons i, I think we both understand all the reasons why but i think the the thing that's frustrating is you you get these people that are selected and then they just kind of, uh, for, for probably good reasons, either bail or they don't do the whole series, um, which, you know, they have valid excuses. So I'm not trying to throw a ton of shade on them, but again, there's, there's other people that are, I guess should have that opportunity, uh, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah it would be, right. it would be nice if there was a way that they could solve both problems and have it be, you know, open for other people to compete, but also, you know, still exclusive enough that they can continue to tell stories about, you know, well, who's going to be key in this year? Oh, nobody. Okay. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, and, and they like, you know, lifetime has come out and talked about how like they, they don't want to make the, the exclusive, you know, lifetime grand prix field too big because then it takes away spots that could have been afforded to the, the rest of the field. Mm -hmm. But if you did it this way where, you know, no one's guaranteed, like, you know, you're just paying the top riders to come, basically mm -hmm. then you're not taking away any spots. Like then the rest of the pro field has to get in however else everyone else gets in. I mean, they're going to get yeah. in anyways, right? Like, yeah, you know, there, there were, you never saw on, on the socials last year that like a pro who wanted to do one of these races couldn't get into it. Right. Like all the top mm -hmm. names were there if they wanted to be there. So, yeah. in a, you know, in my mind, it's like, it's not either way. It's, it's taking up the same amount of spots that are, you know, taken up by these the, the pro or the elite field. So it doesn't really change anything. I think that's sort of, you know, I don't know, maybe a cop out kind of excuse. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, you know, the, if we're, if we're, we, I know how much we like joke about the spirit of gravel, but that's the reason why these events are so long is because I think gravel is kind of started as this almost spirit quest, right. For people to like go and see if they can ride their bikes 200 miles or, um, you know, however long the event is. And that's, you know, the cool thing about a lot of like, especially American disciplines is you, you have the pros doing the same course as the amateurs and there's comparison that exists there. And, um, it, it's, it's a really cool way to be interactive, but at the same time, like it would almost be, I don't know, the, the exclusivity of it still just kind of rubs me the wrong way. And yeah, I mean, the, the top pros are going to be there, but again, like, how do we make it how do we make it more aligned with the spirit, you know, of gravel? Yeah, sure. Lifetime. You can, well, you can send us our checks here. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> At punk bros. <laughs> 
Um, well, I don't know. Dylan popped out. He said he lost his, his internet, so he's he's gone. Um, All right. We got a ton more questions, but we can we can call it there. Yeah, let's wait for the man, the myth, the legend to come back next time. Yep. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah. The yeah, listeners man. like it. These shows are are <laughs> killing it. So keep having you back. Sounds like good, man. Too, of course. Oh, thanks. All right. See ya. See ya.